Hey everybody, welcome to 10 Items for Last. I'm your host, Tim. Thanks for clicking my link, taking a listen, taking a shot on me. I have an amazing episode. I have my first ever doctor on the show. Yes, the doctor is in the building. I have Dr. Ashley Wellman. And trust me, if you have the last name Wellman, you have to be a doctor. Welcome to the show. Hi, Tim. It's so good to be with you. Let me tell you, as a doctor, I'm half as pretentious as it sounds, and I'm not a real doctor, as my daughter will tell you. I'm a professor who specializes in criminology, so I'm a scholar doctor, a brain a brain doctor, as I like to call it. Yeah, but you still have the DR in your name, right, in your title? Oh, amen, I do. Yes, sir. It's a PhD. So I uh, make my students call me that, but I'll let you off the hook. You can just call me Ashley. No, I, listen, if you earn that and you have that, you are a doctor. I don't care if you're a brain doctor, heart surgeon, <laughs> rocket scientist. Yes. yes, well, Dr. Wellman's in the house. <laughs> I'm taking it. Dr. Wellman is joining us here at 10 Items or Less. So real quick, Ashley, if you don't mind, uh, just share with everybody maybe something really quick about you, your personal life, where you live, what you do, that type of stuff, and then we'll dive right in. As Tim already introduced, I'm the very important Dr. Ashley Wellman. Um, but in my private life, I'm not that important. I'm a mom um, to a six-year-old baby girl named Reagan. She's my life and my world. We have a pup as well named Sophie. And we're in Fort Worth, Texas. Everything is bigger here. Um, and right now, I am a, a professor at Texas Christian University. And I'm a criminologist there. So TCU, the Horn Frogs, right? Amen. Go Frog. Okay. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Kansas Jayhawk. So we got a little issue in the beginning already, but we'll circle back to that. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So, and you said you. Yeah, I was going to say, I just left Missouri or Missouri on the other side of the border. That's where we were right before we came to Texas. So uh, I'm, I'm not sad that I'm not there anymore. <laughs> where, are, where are you from originally? I'm a Florida girl. So I was born and raised in Pensacola, Florida, so may as well be Alabama. And then I went to school in Jacksonville and Gainesville. I'm a Gator. That's where I got my master's and PhD. Gotcha. Well, I, uh, I'm i going to Florida in three days to go uh, for a little vacation. Uh, I used to live in the Florida Keys. Uh, my wife and I have also lived in Orlando. We hated it there. We've lived all over the country. So we're not Texas people either. I live literally right now live in Austin, Texas. So we're not very far away. Only a couple hours. I used to live in Dallas a few different occasions. But a funny story about Fort Worth, and maybe you can elaborate is when we were first moving to Texas, I think we lived in Chicago, which is completely obviously the obviously difference from Texas to Illinois. And my envision my whole entire life of Texas, I was like, I don't want to go there. It's a bunch of cowboys and Indians. It's flat. It's terrible. I have no desire to go to Texas. So we ended up going to Dallas and I was like, ah, this isn't that bad. It's not really cowboys or Indians. It's a fast-paced city. It's very pretentious. But we had a lot, a lot of fun, made a lot of great friends in Dallas. And then we moved away and came back to Dallas. But I remember somebody inviting us to go to Fort Worth. And when we went to Fort Worth, Texas, and, and, and it wasn't very long after we moved to Texas, Fort Worth, Texas is exactly what I thought Texas was. <laughs> so when people say they live in Fort Worth, Dallas, Austin, Houston, we used to live in Houston. We've lived all over Texas. And... Um, there's nothing quite like Fort Worth. So yeah. from somebody being East Coast Florida girl, <laughs> and TCU is great school, obviously, but what what do you think of Fort Worth? Because to me, it's very Cowboys and Indians. It is exactly what you hated about Texas. Yes, I uh, am a Southern girl, but that doesn't mean I'm Texas. And you know, I'm not a Texan girl. So uh, they'll be very quick to let you know that you're not a hometown girl here. But I did walk myself down to the Fort Worth Stockyards, which I'm sure is where they took you. Where yep. All, yep, where all the steer are there and every, you know, every cowboy is there. It's a quintessential Texas town. Um, but down in the stockyards, I marched myself into a custom boot shop. And I got myself a pair of cowboy boots, which is a staple at a football game here. You must wear cowboy boots or they don't let you in. So um, not really, but 
Uh, you would think so, basically. <laughs> no, no. I, I, listen, it wasn't very long for me being in Dallas that I had to buy a pair of cowboy boots, and I actually wanted one. I was like, I want these. I want to try them. I can tell you right now, I still have them. I've probably worn them three times. I can't walk in them. I, I, for some reason, I do this heel-to-toe thing. It's like boom, boom. It's like this odd step. It's literally like I'm a toddler, so I don't know how people do it. And I have people even here in Austin. You know, it's probably not as much country here in Austin as anywhere in Texas. It's very different here in Austin. But people wear cowboy boots all day long just like you would wear a pair of sneakers. But I, I don't know how you do it. I'll tell you, once you break them in, they get a lot more comfortable. But it's more important, did you get a belt buckle and a hat? I didn't. I'm a big hat wearer. I love hats, but more like a baseball hat. But a ca- I'm a very short in statue. So I, I get confused as a small Mexican guy. So that's kind of why I guess I fit in in Texas, I guess. But yeah, no, uh, no cowboy hat, but I do enjoy the hat life. Uh, belt buckle, not my thing by any means. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't incorporated a lot of things about Texas, but I think uh, the city of Fort Worth is awesome. I think it's really cool. There's a lot of cultural there. And I think it's Really what I think of Texas is what's there. And I think if you do come to Texas, you should check it out. And I know TCU is a huge university. They've really well. Yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you, it's it's a it's a great town to be, like you said. There's culture everywhere. There's great restaurants. It is close to Dallas. If you need to get uppity, you can go, you know, over to Dallas. But there's a lot of great people here. I'm very blessed to be surrounded by awesome people and great culture. So I can't complain. But I would not have said Texas was going to be where I ended up. But here I am. <laughs> and what what brought you here? Was it the job or? It was, yeah. So I had actually uh, met two two colleagues that I just thought I you know fell in love with at a conference, and they said you should give up everything you've worked so hard in your career for and come be here. It sounded like a great idea. Don't know if it was, <laughs> <laughs> but you know I took a risk, and um, I will tell you I have found beauty in the situation, uh, not the beauty I came for, but definitely beauty in the situation. Well, that's cool. That's rewarding. Have you been to Austin yet where I live or no? I have been to Austin. I came down there to film a television pilot. Clearly they didn't pick me up, but I, I went down there to film a, a criminology show, a true crime show. And then my brother-in-law lives down there as well. He's an amazing artist and loves Austin. It's definitely different there. It's like stepping into a kind of creative space. So I probably should move to Austin. It, well, it is. I, I think uh, it's, it's like I said, we lived in Dallas twice, my, twice, two different occasions, my wife and I. We lived in Houston for a good amount of time. I actually thought Houston was better than Dallas. My wife didn't. And then when we lived in both those places, we'd always travel to Austin for a quick getaway weekend, whatever. And then when I took this job that I have now, we moved here to Austin from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I could not believe that Austin was much more than I thought it was when we came for a quick weekend. So we have a wonderful life here at a lake, the hill country. We have a boat out on the Lake Travis. It is truly an amazing place, but you met, you said it correct. It is very, very different. Yeah. Very artsy, very hippie, keep Austin weird, very eccentric, very cultivating, very, I can go on and on and on and all the varies, but it's very, very strange for this city to be in Texas because it is way different than any other part that we've been to. Yeah, I loved it. It's it's definitely, it takes you out of your element and it's it's like a Portland in the middle of Texas. So very- Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. So that's awesome. So you mentioned criminology. So you and I got together somehow, some way, we, we emailed each other. And I think it's your story, Ashley, that really what it in, in, in interest me. And typically my episodes are real funny, not very long. Some of them are a little long, but there's always some quirkiness. But I was like, I really want to talk to this lady, Dr. Ashley Wellman, because I think your story of where you've been, what you've been through, what you're doing and where you're at now is absolutely amazing. And I had no idea you were even in Texas until today when I did a little snooping around on your Facebook. So I didn't do my due diligence, but I just enjoyed your story. So if you don't mind, Walk us through, and, and obviously along the way, I'll have a lot of comments, but went to school, you're a doctor, you're a criminologist, special in, I think you said homicide or sexual assault or whatever it was. And then now we'll get to the now later, but tell me, walk us through kind of what you've been through, what you're doing, and then we'll go from there. Yeah. Okay. So I, uh, you, you nailed it. I'm actually, uh, my research focuses on the lived experiences of sexual assault survivors and homicide survivors, uh, the family left behind in a homicide. And I work a lot with cold case families who don't have an answer in their case. So, of course, all the lighthearted things that you could specialize in, that's what I do. 
Um, mm -hmm. So murder has always been something that fascinated me. And I think as a kid, it was the idea of kind of the criminal mind and how people become so depraved. And that fascinated me. And my dad was really into true crime, but an advisor in college said, Hey, Ash, you're going to have to be a cop. If you are a criminal, you know, if you go into criminal justice. So I became a PR major, special events girl, and went back and got my PhD in criminology because that's what I wanted to do. And so it kind of took me you know, a while to get that. But then I set off on that path of becoming, quote, successful as a scholar. And I started at the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina at a military college. Wasn't a real smart idea for a young woman. <laughs> I bet. I know it very well. Yeah, yep. yep. wasn't smart for a young woman who had an opinion to be um, at a military institution. But uh, so I, I went to Missouri and was tenured as a faculty member there, which is a big deal. It makes you real important in academia and um, really thrived. I think my my survivors gave me so much life and so did my students. I love being in the classroom. Um, one weird fact about me is I wanted to be a Broadway star but I can't sing in front of people. I have performance anxiety, it's like can't do it. So that dream was a, a, you know, a pipe dream. And instead now I kind of perform in the classroom. That's my stage and where I get to entertain and try to have fun while we're learning serious stuff. And um, I came to Fort Worth on this hope that I was gonna step away from my tenure track job with a promise of actually getting the next tenure track job at this institution that I'm at from people that I thought were very dear to me. Um, the day before I started my new job, the unimaginable happened to my daughter and I. I was married to an incredible man named Buddy. And he had told me, hey, Ash, you start work tomorrow. You should go upstairs and get ready, you know, take a nap, relax. I'm a napper. I love to nap. So <laughs> okay. Said, yeah, yeah, he said, run upstairs, take a nap. Um, you start work tomorrow. This was August of 2018. And I went upstairs and immediately I heard this glass shatter downstairs. And as a mom, I was like, what the hell is broken? You know, and mm -hmm. I was angry. That was kind of my first reaction. And then he didn't answer me. And my daughter didn't answer me when I screamed out what happened. And when I came down, he was in the hallway having a seizure um, and he couldn't breathe. And my daughter, who was four at the time, came over and, you know, started screaming, please save my dad. Please save my dad. And um, I'm just standing there screaming with 911, and it would be about 90 minutes when they tried to bring him back and forth between having a heart rate and not. Um, I watched CPR for about 60 minutes in the hospital, and then they pronounced him dead um, mm. on August 12th of 2018. And in that moment, everything that had been important in my life didn't matter anymore. And um, everything that I had defined myself as you know, wasn't there. So wife and, you know, mother who wasn't a single mother, right? I had this family that shattered in, in that moment. And I had a grieving baby who I had to take care of. So I am very thankful. My university um, knew Im immediately she can't be in school right now. You know, I had actually told, I had told my colleagues, I said, I will be in my first class on Monday morning. And I'm going to tell them, you know, look, my husband died. This is why I'm not in the classroom. And everyone went, yeah, that's a bad idea. <laughs> Those poor, those poor kids, like, don't disturb them any more than you would have normally. Um, and so they gave me bereavement leave that first semester, which was a blessing. And I took that time to really work hard with my daughter to, to heal us. And um, art and writing and music really became kind of this thing that I just threw myself into. But if you've been through any kind of trauma, you seek what is my identity? Who am I in this hurt and trauma. And I was a scholar and I am a scholar. Let me, let me rephrase that. I am yeah. a scholar. <laughs> I need to I need to remind myself, I am a scholar. And so to me, when I got back into the classroom, it was actually a really big challenge because my whole career has been with Buddy by my side. And here I am a widow suffering from PTSD. And I'm in there talking about murder and sexual assault and all of these heavy topics, but it was my zone. And I was doing my research and I was excelling, you know, making sure that I would set myself up for this position that I had actually moved my family for. Um, little did I know that, you know, some of my colleagues did not like the way I had grieved. And I don't think people who haven't experienced something similar to that, I don't think that they can handle grief um, 
in the way that it comes out after significant loss. You know, it's different losing um, a parent. It's different losing a child. And I wouldn't compare any of them. But in that moment, my partner was gone. And it's just me and my daughter in a town with nobody and nothing, you know, starting a new life. So um, a couple of my colleagues actually planned a search that would exclude me from this job that I had been promised. And I remember finding out about it. And I think the grief that came when the loss of scholar, which was my, you know, in my head, I had lost that title. Then when they excluded me from the search, that was the last title I really knew how to hold on to. And so I thought I had been dark before, but I think the compounded trauma, I got even darker. And um, it took a friend saying, you know what, Ashley, you have the ability to redefine yourself. You will never lose what you've accomplished, right? And I will never stop wanting to educate and teach and share and help survivors. That's who I am. But that doesn't mean I'm limited to the way I define myself. And so that was kind of my screw it moment. And and, um, in that moment, I said, I can- Real real quick, let me ask you a question. So you, you, I've got so much to say, but real quick, you said the screw it moment. And I know when you and I talked just literally via email, I've never had this screw it moment such as in the in the point where you have. I, I haven't experienced anything close to yours, but we all have that screw it moment. But I, I find it I find it so interesting that you just said screw it. And and for I guess I don't know, lack of a better word, I'm gonna rebound and do this. I mean, but my question would be, how long was it until that screw screw it moment? Because that's gotta I couldn't imagine. Yeah, okay. So I hadn't said screw it after his death. It was so I found out probably September um via a phone call that I wasn't going to get an interview, even an interview. Okay. Into my career for an entry level job. And I thought like, oh my God. And um I got really depressed and really anxious. And I kept doing the thing in my head, like, what did I do wrong? What could I have done differently? What should I have done? You know, like, why am I not worthy? Why am I not valuable? And I got in a really bad spot. And um, I started, I had to get on medication and, you know, go to therapy and stuff that I, that I had not even had to do with Buddy's death, right? It had been short-term help with therapy and stuff like that. Okay. But but like long-term help over a job. So I'd say six months um, in into that. So I'd say maybe February of this year, I really said like, you got a choice to either let that define you and let what has been said about you be your truth and be the story that's written about you. Or you can know your worth, you can know your value, you can know that people have loved and care about you in that space. I have some great colleagues, my students are amazing. I have a lot of families that have worked with me in research here. So I mean, that doesn't go anywhere. But I said, I don't have to just be what I've been defined as, you know, because my career progression as an academic had been stifled here, there is stifled here. And so I can teach and share my knowledge, but I can also do something I'm passionate about. And I think quarantine has been the biggest blessing because having some space has shown me how much healthier I can be if I have the space and I you know, redefine who I am. So in addition to the Dr. Ashley Wellman, I'm now an author of a Jesus. children's book. Jesus. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. And I've written, um, I've written another novel, a ghost, a ghost story uh, for teen, like a teen th- trilogy. But this children's book is the light of my life. And I've thrown so much of my time and money and energy into this idea that I can recreate something and I can do it with my daughter by my side because she kept seeing me so sad about, you know, work. And she would say, you know, mom, is this about work? And I'm thinking with all the trauma that kid has been through now watching me, like I, I have no you know faith in myself. I'm not confident. I'm not exhibiting any kind of any kind of behavior, I would want my daughter to say, you know, this is the woman I want to be. And so I said, I'm going to change that. And I'm going to show her that you can be brave and you can risk, you know, risk it all and try things that other people don't understand. You know, people have been like, oh, Ashley, what if you fail? What if the book doesn't take off? You know, and I said, is it a failure? Because I wrote it (laughs) and I have it in my hand and my daughter is the main character with her best friend, Fresno, who's a skeleton. Um, 
in real life, she has a best friend who's a poseable skeleton. And so that's kind of what is encompassed in that book. And so it's creating magic and a story that I want to tell about not only myself, but about Reagan's and my journey and, you know, what you can do when you really say, hey, I trust myself and I believe in myself the same way I would tell my daughter to do. So crazy. So let, let me give you my synopsis of what you just told me for the last six minutes. So here is a lady who has all the brains in the world, who has tragedy just out of nowhere happen. Okay, you're upstairs trying to take a nap like that, a snap of fingers. Your life has changed. You have a four-year-old. I have two daughters that are much older than that, so I can understand. You have a four-year-old. Your world is tossed upside down. I can only imagine the amount of time or what good or not good, whatever time it took you to rebound and refocus and, and have to figure out who you are for your daughter and obviously move forward. And then somewhere along the way, Ashley, you decided, you know what? I'm going to define myself and now write a book. Okay. <laughs> not only just a book about maybe you would think, oh, well, what happened? Tragedy being in my, you know, early adult life and I have all this tragedy. No, you write an adult book about a your daughter, basically, about her best friend who's a skeleton, who your husband just died, who now is like literally living off this because this is this is your new screw it moment. And I can't I don't know your whole story. I just know what you just told me. And I hope people really listen to what you just said. The fact that you sound so confident, which you said you're not so positive and you're so excited about this new journey and, and there's a purpose about it is so rewarding for me. And again, a guy that likes to do funny, half-assed bullshit podcast, this is exactly the complete opposite, but I find it so more intriguing. So congratulations to you. But I do have one, what, what is the premise of the book? Like the, the, the child's book, what, what is the story that you tell in this book? So sweet. So it's called the, first of all, thank you, Tim, because I think we gain our confidence from other people believing in us and then, you know, taking that and, and transforming it into something beautiful. So thank you for believing in me. Um, but the children's book is called The Girl Who Dances with Skeletons, My Friend Fresno. And it takes children into this world where Reagan tells you she used to be scared of monsters under her bed, but now she welcomes them. Like take her best friend, for example, my friend Fresno, and he's a skeleton. So when this is based on a real, real event, you know, Reagan has for the last four years been best friends with this posable skeleton. And so many people are like, that's so weird. Or, oh my God, that's so macabre. That's so dark. And it's not, it's beautiful because it's something that looks scary, right? That people really just don't understand. And so in my head, I said, we have friends and family members and all kinds of things like that in our society where people are scared or uncomfortable because people are different. And so the book shows you that if you gave somebody a chance and you got to know them, that you would fall in love with them too, because they're so fun to be with and that our differences make us better people and make us better together. And so I think it's a, a timely message. I think it's one, Reagan is six and because of what she's been through, it does have beauty in it because it's, it has made her so empathetic to other people. So, you know, special needs children or someone who might be missing a limb or, or something like that. She's so kind and points out the beauty in that, you know, now because she's different. She's a child without a dad and she's a child who's witnessed severe trauma. And so there are times where people don't always understand her or her reaction to something. And so it's been a cathartic process, but it's a stunning little treasure that I have. And it's illustrated by Zach Kincaid, who is a phenomenal artist. He's a young artist and he's Thomas Kincaid's nephew. So if you know the painter of light, um, one of the best selling artists of all time, Thomas Kincaid, it's his nephew. And so it's literally like you have this sweet children's book, the story, and then you also have this collection of art that he's drawn that's whimsical and funny. Um, you know, there's things like jaw dropping and, you know, <laughs> these different kinds of puns in there. It's just a fun, sweet story for kids. That's amazing. And like I said, I was just, I was snooping on your Facebook today and seeing some of the pictures on the front. I think it's amazing. So real quick, and your daughter's name is Reagan, right? It is. So and I could only imagine, and I hope your answer is yes to this. I would hope Reagan walks around and be like, I'm a badass. I have a book. Yeah. <laughs> does, she, does she play that off? I think it would be great. <laughs> she does. And I, we, we teased about it because they have like dress up day at school and you can be your favorite book character. She's like, I'm going to go as me. 
because yeah. I'm now a book character and she does, she carries Fresno around. She always talks to me about like marketing ideas. She wants <laughs> to make sure that we have t-shirts if they ask me about my friend Fresno. She's like, we need those mom when we go to the airport. And right now, yeah. right now, you know, the book's available for pre-sale. So everywhere we go, she says, you know, did you give them a sticker? Did you tell them to go to our website? Mom, go back in and tell them we have a book. And <laughs> she's hilarious. We have a, like a little plush doll and, and puzzles and things like that, little ancillary products for sale. So I made a bone boutique, if you go check out our website. I did. I, I saw that. So I, I, I watched the first couple of minutes. I think it's fantastic. So so is, does she have a big part in that, the daughter? She does, yeah. So, so not only is she the main character in the book, but I really like let her be my little CEO and little, you know, creative officer next to me. Um, yeah. I asked her, what pictures do you think should be on the kids puzzles? And she's like, Oh, I would like this one if I was really little. And I like this one because it's very, you know, funny. And I think older kids would like this one. And um, she also, you know, like I told you, she's my best little promoter. Sometimes I'm, I'm like, I'm so sorry. You know, she's like, you can buy a book from my mom. And I'm like, Oh no, <laughs> you can, but you don't have to. Um, but she's, she's a great partner. And I think it's been something that together she sees me joyful. She sees me being brave. And, um, I talked to her a lot about, you know, yeah, this is fun. It's kind of scary. Uh, but mom's so excited. And when I'm talking about that, I light up. Whereas you can tell things that, you know, just seem like so far in my past or such a different life away from me doesn't always bring that kind of joy anymore. You know, like he only passed away, but he only passed away two years ago, but in mm -hmm. some ways it feels like it's been 15 years. You know, I'm, I'm 36 now. I was 34. I was so young as a, as a mother and a wife. And um, I feel like I've had to recreate myself so much that I know he's just up there like, hell yes. This is why, cause I remember asking God, like, why did you leave me? I know. Why did you leave me and take him? And I mm -hmm. remember like, I remember that so heavily. And now I like picture Buddy sitting up on the clouds, eating pizza, probably drinking bourbon and being like, this is why, because you're a badass. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is why. So it's just a really exciting chapter given what we've been through and having her as part of it makes it all the more magical. Listen, it's so inspiring, Ashley. And I honestly, I know most people don't ever, I don't know, whatever, but most people probably wouldn't understand or realize or maybe even believe me that we don't know each other at all i wouldn't know you if you were sitting right next to me but i find this i find this so inspiring and i think um i think it's the rebound the journey that you went from that devastating day to where you are now and then you have a, a daughter who was four at that time and now six who is just reveling in the moment which fully deserved i can't i mean i'm sitting here getting choked up because my daughters are older they're in their 20s we've never had much I'm divorced. They haven't really lived with me my entire life, but I couldn't imagine my wife, you know, and I'm married for the second time. I couldn't imagine my wife back then now or whatever, or your spouse dying. It's different than a parent. I, I agree with you. And especially at such a young age, but how do you, what do you do next, Ashley? So what's, what's next? Because you went, I, I have so much, I have so much stuff here written down that I haven't said to you that, that you've conquered in such a short period of time at 36 years old. So what's next? Is this, do you just keep going with the children's book or? I think I do. I, I'm still going to get that TV show, dang it. I think, um, you know, I've always been this true crime buff, but then I really took it as something where I said, I can make a difference in survivors' lives and, and show their stories and help those families. So that's still a dream of mine. I've also uh, thought about what if I showed that pain has a purpose and that you can have you know, triumphs after tragedy. And so that kind of bringing those stories to people would be very important for me um, on the adult level, you know, um, because my survivors really have defined so much of my life. And I think my grief coping mechanisms came so much from the hope and the determination I found in the families who had suffered the unimaginable, you know, murder or being sexually assaulted. And, um, so I think that's still a very big part of my life, but I could see, um, I have two more children's books that are in the works uh, that'll be in the Fresno line. And so that little series is growing and I would love to be in schools talking to kids about loving people who are different than yourselves, you know, loving yourself and believing in yourself. And you know, this idea that bullying doesn't get us anywhere, trying to stop someone from being successful doesn't get you anywhere, you know, making someone feel bad doesn't get you anywhere and, and making sure that kids grow up knowing that differences aren't something that should be feared 
that would be a joy to me is to continue my education, but bring it down to children who I think are, are our most precious asset. No, no doubt. And I was going to ask you, do you do any public speaking or any platforms like that? Cause the platform, I mean, obviously you got your, your job at the university, but I mean, I, I find your story. It would be so rewarding in so many different levels for so many different people. So I don't know if that's something you want to do, but me, I'm kind of like you, Ashley, I've always wanted to be on a TV show. I, I, I honestly went to school in uh, many, many years ago. I'm a little bit older than you uh, to be a cop. I wanted to, I, I went to school for criminal justice and like you, like you said earlier that, you know, the next step is to be a cop. Well, I was one of those kids in high school that I was a hundred pounds, all four years of high school. I'm a tiny little guy. And then I remember one day my mom saying like, you're never going to be a cop. Who's going to hire you? And, and, and I tried. And then I remembered, you know, this is a long time ago. And I remembered like, well, I'll be a prison guard. And then my dad's like, Tim, my dad's like, Tim, this is not your forte. And so make a long story short, that's when I changed channels and, kind of went to culinary school and became a chef and lived my life doing in the food business, what I'm doing now. But I, uh, I always have these hopes and dreams to be what you are, you know, but uh, there's still a part of me that would love to be a police officer. I think it would be very difficult, but I think the knowledge and the academic geniusness that you've reached is very, very intriguing to me. So I think it's amazing. And I can only imagine you trying to tell your story in a classroom with kids about murder and sexual assault, but I guess my question about that would be is, is that rewarding or is that, could, could you find yourself depressing talking about murder and sexual assault? Okay. Yeah. Yes, you could. I think it depends on your, the, the way you're viewing it. So for me, it's always been this thing that says I have a platform and I refuse not to use it for something good. And for me, I had actually gone in. I, I think being a police officer would have been a phenomenal job. You know, I wanted to be in the FBI and then I got caught up in my graduate program and realized I'm a huge nerd. We all knew that. I was president of the abstinence team and the, the mascot in high school. No one except for me, you know, didn't know that I was a nerd. Um, but in graduate school, I fell in love with research. And I had a mom one day, I was working at a cold case unit with, with some detectives and my goal was to research the cases. And a mom came in one day and she just said, I want to know what the fuck happened to my daughter. And someone's going to tell me. And I was 25. A detective pulled me and he goes, Ashley, I'll talk to you about it. And I, I went, I will. So I went outside with this mom and I talked to her for four hours that day. And I remember her saying, Ashley, I did not come here for answers. All I wanted was someone to listen to my story. And no one has given me any kind of validation that my daughter mattered and that she's not forgotten. And I remember in that moment, I said, oh, I'm going to study everything there is about these families. And when I get back and, you know, I'm looking up in, in the library database for research, there's nothing about cold case survivors and, and the families. And so I said, you know what? Not everyone would have sat there or could have sat there for four hours and been trusted with her story. And I was. And so I said, okay, clearly I have a calling to help families in pain and who are suffering, survivors who are suffering. And I want to be that safe space and use my platform to share their story, talk to law enforcement about how to treat them better and how to work collaboratively with survivors, right? They shouldn't be fighting two different battles. And it's been so rewarding. Like I said, the, my landlord, when I first moved here and, and that was my landlord when Buddy died, he had confided in me that his mother had been murdered. And we sat in my condo for three or four hours, you know, before Buddy had passed away. And Buddy was laughing. You know, he's like, God, you'll, you'll like keep anyone here for hours and talk to them. And I said, yeah, but that was really special. And he told me about the warm place, which is a grief house here for kids. And I was like, I'm going to use that place for my research. I'm going to use that place for my research and get these, you know, families. I used the warm place to help my daughter survive the death of her dad. You know, it's like, it's, it's just so weird how the world works and how karma works. And I will forever ever share any knowledge I have about homicide and sexual assault, because I think, especially with sexual assault on a college campus, it's so misunderstood. There's so much victim blaming. There's so much shame that goes into it. And if people knew that around them, one in three, one in four people is a survivor of sexual assault, they'd watch the way they talk to each other. They would be kind and loving and a safe person because someone they care about is a survivor. And I think sharing those kinds of stories with students particularly is vital. So I think whether I'm in the classroom or not, I will forever be an advocate for those people.
Oh my God, it's so rewarding. I'm, but how do you shut that off, Ashley? I mean, what is Ashley and your daughter Reagan? What do you do? What do you do for fun? Because how do you shut that off? Because it's such a I don't want to say dramatic, but serious conversation always yeah. about anything that we've met. But how, when do you turn it off, or how do you? Um, I have to be really cognizant about it. So I, I told a friend recently, you know, I'm struggling to sleep, and and he was like, Well, what did you watch before you went to bed? I was like, Well, you know, Epstein, you know, or or Amanda Knox, whatever. I'm watching all these heavy murder documentaries. <laughs> probably not a good idea. Yeah. Not good for you before bed. I'm like, you're probably right. Even the new Unsolved Mysteries, you know, I'm like, oh, I just binge watch Unsolved Mysteries. It's 2 a.m. and I can't sleep. Um, because you do, you have to turn your brain off. Um, I, I love, if you're talking about quarantine entertainment, it was a lot of wine and eating. Mm-hmm. So eating. Um, but I love movies. I love the theater um i love the arts and so reagan and i have way too many art projects all around the house um we sing karaoke we have dance parties it's pretty fun i'm i'm a huge um i don't know still i'm really silly and so my friends will tell you like you're not going to be bored at a party with me we'll either talk about serial killers and (laughs) all the things that they know about them and then ask me questions or I'll be dancing or singing or being silly. So I have a really lighthearted side too. I think she's been lost for a really long time the last couple of years, but I found her again. And it's one of those things that I'm, I'm trying to be very cognizant of the fact that I have to step back sometimes and just be Ashley. And so the children's book for me and having that creative force has really been kind of my outlet. And now it's kind of my, my direction to, to have a new chapter. No, I, I agree. And, and the first thing, maybe the first, maybe the second sentence you wrote me is I'm morbid, weird, funny, and definitely quirky. So yeah. you just summed that up, which was great. Yeah. My job. <laughs> so it's, yeah, that you, you just did it for me. I mean, I literally have a little note here. I'm like, that's the first thing you, that was your intro to Tim. I was like, I, lo- I love this lady. This is perfect. Did I live up to it? Was it like doctor worthy? No, absolutely. Yeah. The doctor part, I'm telling you, this is the first doctor on the show. You'll be, you'll go down in history. But, um, you know, I think um, you, you said that you love to drink wine, cook. Are you, you love cooking? You Are you, I'm a food person. So that's the only reason I'm asking. I wish I loved cooking. I don't know how to cook for one adult and a kid that only wants chicken nuggets, you know? Yeah. Chicken tenders, right? Yeah. It's just that and a lot of ranch. And so okay. I don't want that. Um but I, I do, I like the art of cooking. So all we watch right now are all the cooking shows. And I'm thinking, you know, oh, wouldn't that be nice to do one day? <laughs> yeah. And and listen, I'll tell you, it's very difficult to cook for one person. It, it's it, I, In my opinion, it's easier to cook for 10 people than one person. Absolutely. I love to entertain. We haven't been able to, of course, but I keep begging my friends. I'm like, please have a murder mystery party with me. Oh my God. The two things, if you ever want to meet me, Tim, just say, hey, Ash, Let's hold a murder mystery party or an escape room. Let's go to an escape room. Um, I recently went to one in Vegas, which is supposedly the best in the country. Um, this escape room, and my it was just me and my friend, and we were in the escape room, and he was like walking around very casually. I was army diving through the walls, screaming every time I dove through it because it popped off and like shot things in your face every time. I acted like I didn't know that was going to happen, um, <laughs> but I'm intense. So if you want to win in the escape room, so listen with me, and it's like, yeah, I will love to have you and your daughter over, and and we and you can we, you can host a murder mystery cook at my house. We have plenty of room, but but you got to put it together. I I think that'd be fantastic, but I wouldn't know how to host that. So fun. There's so many online now you can get, but I remember growing up with the how to host a murder box set that had a cassette in it. And I would make my friends dress up with me and we'd come as our character. Um, yeah, it was, that was my, you know, cause I couldn't be on Broadway. I just settled for the, the murder in a box. So <laughs> anytime. That, that's so funny. So do you, I, I think, and I, I'm just real quick. I don't know what made me think of it. Do you do any podcasting, Ashley? Cause I've seen your name out there. Is this something that you like to do or? It's been something just the last couple of weeks I've jumped on because there's so many incredible, unique stories you can tell. So my story is, you know, one of overcoming things, but there's so many aspects of being just a human being and a mother and a scholar and those types of things. So now the new Ashley children's book author 
loves the idea of doing podcasts. One, it's socialization. Two, it's a way for me to share my story and maybe help one one or two people along the way. That's the goal of sharing something you know, difficult. And then this idea of bringing people into the world of Fresno. I think we all need our own little Fresno and joy. And so if I can encourage somebody who feels stuck to get unstuck, I'll do any dang podcast any day. And if it's with a host like you, I'll do them um, all day, every day. <laughs> You're too nice. But yes, yeah, so we're not very far away. So we need to meet one day. I think I think you would like my wife and I. I think we'd be, it's not, I literally, I, I feel like we'd be friends for a long time. Well, I, yeah, I think it's- I'm going to come down. We're going to have a murder mystery party. We'll drink a lot of wine. You feed me. And I'll do an author signing at a local bookstore. And this would be a great I I absolutely love it. So I work for a grocery store. And I work for a grocery store that's in your backyard. So I'm not, I don't like talking about work on my podcast. But I work for a very large company. And uh, I'm a food-driven individual. So yeah, we will definitely have a good meal. I'm a chef by trade. I've been doing it for many, many years. But I, like you, always wanted to kind of be in some sort of show business. Yeah. So it's so funny how you, you're this murder, sexual assault author, and here I am talking to you on a podcast trying to be funny. And, and it's just so funny how you circle back. And then we still have our other lives to deal with. It's, it's just kind of odd to me. It's good to have a little laugh every now and then. So this was a joy. I love Absolutely. it. Absolutely. So real quick, I want you, uh, we're going to do a quick segment called the grocery bag. It is a, um, a little segment that my wife came up with. It's a little bag. And believe it or not, I don't know what's in this bag. Um, I have people send me ideas. Uh, in the beginning, it was mostly my family. And there's only like a few in here. But I'm just going to ask you some random questions real quick. And then you're going to answer them to your best ability. And then we'll finish up with you promoting the world, uh, promoting to the world of who you are and how we get involved with Fresno and all that. Does that sound good? I love it. Yes. I'm anxious. You know, the, the PhD in me is very nervous about a test right now. Let's oh, geez. Let's do it. I'm sure you're not. I'm sure you're <laughs> test worthy. I'm the guy that should be anxious about a test. I never did very well. <laughs> all right. So if you went to a grocery store, it could only pick three things to live off the rest of your life. What would be found in your grocery cart and why? Pasta. Ooh. For okay. sure. Okay. Sushi. And oh, is oh why? Coffee? Ooh. Coffee? Fun fun fact about Tim. I've never drank a cup of coffee in my life. You're missing out. I'm I know. Out. It's um, not my thing. Yeah, it's probably good. It's probably good. I probably should not drink coffee. If you meet me, you'll be like, you probably should lay off. Um, well, that's what everybody tells me. They thank God I don't. Exactly. <laughs> um, the pasta has to come from I'm Italian. A uh, large part of my heritage is Italian. And I like eating a lot. And pasta is the easiest, coolest thing to cook up. I've learned that in quarantine. Um, sushi is by far my favorite food if I was able to go out and get it right now. And coffee wine? coffee because i'm literally a different beast in the morning without it so that's funny and obviously you're italian you lived in florida because everybody from florida new jersey new york is all italian so that makes absolutely so i'm actually going to destin florida in three days so that's very close yeah i've been there a bunch i've been there a bunch as a kid i haven't been back in many years but uh, i look forward to it it's gonna be fun there's not much else to do so like you said this quarantine life i'm looking forward to it yeah all right, here you go. This is a, I've used this one before. So you just got arrested, Ashley. Oh. You've been, yeah, bad Ashley. Not so you, yeah, so you've been sentenced to death row. <laughs> okay. And tonight is your execution night, Ashley. Yeah. What is your last meal? Oh, Jesus. Um, well, you know, now they have to cook it in the kitchen. Fun fact. But I won't, I won't pull out criminology facts right now. Okay. Well, hold on. What do you mean they got to cook it in the kitchen? Well, I don't get it. Jurisdictions, they used to be able to like request anything, you know, okay. like I want, oh, you know, Ruth's Chris steak and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But now, because it got a little bit crazy, especially, you know, Texas, we like to execute people. Um, yeah. A lot of jurisdictions now, a lot of states, it has to be something that they're able to make in the kitchen and they can make you whatever you want, but it can't be, you know a $3,000 meal. Sure. Um, but I would want a $3,000 meal, but I would settle on a filet mignon from the prison kitchen. Okay. And, um, probably a potato and a big loaf of bread. Love. You gotta have the bread. Carbs. Absolutely. Carbs. 
The carb go day. I'm with you. That's the Italian. Because uh, so, I'm on death row, I'd have to use the carbs to get to heaven. I'd be like, right. <laughs> it's going to get you up there. So real quick, crazy question, because now you got me wondering. So I didn't know you had the death row insight. So who flips the switch? Is it somebody they choose? It depends. It depends. There are certain, there are certain states where it's actually someone from the public put, that you put in saying I'd be willing to do it. So like with the lethal injection machine, you're not sure which one of you Sometimes there's like three people and they don't know which one actually did it. We'd each okay. push button and that way like relieves the guilt. Um, sometimes it is somebody from this, you know, state who's that's their job to do it. But um yeah. but, but it's not normal everyday people. Uh some jurisdictions it is. Sometimes so do you, do you get paid for that or it's just a thing you offer to do? I do not know that, Tim. Um this is what I tell my students, you know, I will look that up and let you know. Yeah, I need to know who flipped this. <laughs> I don't know if, if you get to choose. Don't get me wrong. I have no plans to do that. But Sign us up. We'll go. You and I will go and we'll see which one of us thinks we pushed the right button. There's a huge prison in Fort Worth, isn't there? There are uh, not right in prison. Huntsville is the big one with the death row. Oh, uh, I went down there one time and the warden actually made us a chuck wagon feast. We were, we were a bunch of scholars going through like, oh, look how fun. Here's death row. And um, and then we had a chuck wagon feast with this warden. And I don't think I've ever eaten better food. It was all cast iron, literally out of the back of a wagon. It was. Wow. So wardens can cook too. So I have this infatuation with prisons. I've never been, knock on wood, never even been arrested. Honestly, I'm a great ever. But like we, my wife and I, we go to Kansas all the time for basketball games. And it's right by Leavenworth. Mm-hmm. Always have this dream of just going to check it out. I don't know if they do tours, but I find prison so interesting. I don't know why. Fascinating. They're fascinating. I used to take my kids. Um, I've been to Leavenworth one when I was in Missouri, but I took my kids to Florida's death row where Eileen Wernos and Ted Bundy and everybody was executed. Um, and then, uh, it, yeah, it was so bizarre and so fun. We would go and I had a, I had a prisoner on death row uh, who used to wave to me every time I went. And the prison guards would laugh. They'd be like, Ashley, your friend's looking at you again. I was like, God help us. So be careful if you end up going on a prison tour because they're very lonely. And oh, I can only imagine. We just went to, we just went to Alcatraz last year and I thought that was awesome. Yeah, I've never been. So cool. Yeah. So cool. All right, last one. You ready? This is a good one. Lots of movements are happening in the world, as we all know. What funny cultural movement would you create or put in place today drag queen workshops for oh my God. women okay um i'm a huge rupaul drag race fan um, okay. and i'm literally obsessed and they did this celebrity version where female and male celebrities got to be dressed in drag and i'm not talking like oh that's cool i was literally thinking how the hell do i get on that show i'm not a celebrity <laughs> Um, but I was thinking I want to be dressed in drag because the whole thing of drag is loving yourself and, and believing in yourself and, and feeling a fierceness that you wouldn't necessarily have in your everyday skin. And I was like, damn, I want to be a drag queen. So if I could, I would have it a like necessary component. Maybe straight, maybe guys should have to do it too, but that, <laughs> that we would have to go to a drag school you know, for a week and learn about people who aren't the same as us, who are amazing humans and make us feel like incredible people ourselves. I love it. It's fantastic. What are we calling it? Oh, Lord. Drag it out, girl. Drag it out, girl movement. I love it. Let's, <laughs> let's, hey, we can make a new book. It won't be for children's, but we'll, we'll, we'll make, we'll no, make it. It'll be good. Yes. <laughs> Great. So my, I was asked that question a couple of weeks ago. It was in the bag. And I have this obsession with food, like I told you. Yeah. And I'm just going to, I know you did. I don't care if you care. I'm just going to tell you. So my movement is called the put it in your mouth movement. <laughs> so when I said that, so hold on. So when I said that for the first time, everybody, I, I can't tell you how many emails or text messages, even from family members, and said, Tim, what the hell are you doing? This is supposed to be semi-classy. And then once I, once I describe the put it in your mouth movement, everybody is loving it. So my theory is that there's too many people in the world, my wife being one of them, okay, who who judges or doesn't eat something. So I'll be like, honey, tonight I'm going to bring home lamb chops. And she'll say, I don't like lamb chops. And I'm like, you never had a lamb chop. And she's like, well, it doesn't matter. I'm not eating a lamb. 
And I'm like, no, you got to try it. So I have this new movement. It's called the put it in your mouth movement where it's going to make everybody try something. So if you don't like Brussels sprouts, you have to try them, get them prepared to you the right way. Not like your mom just boiled them and gave them to you (laughs) the real way. And then you'd be the judge if you don't like it. So I want you to help me with the put it in your mouth movement. And I know you're laughing. So that's good. I'm like, put it in your mouth. Or is it? That's right. Try it one time. And if you don't like it, I'm fine with that. But you got to put it in your mouth. I like it. As a dad, you have the training to be like, put it in your mouth, please. I said, put it in your mouth. That's it. And then if you say, I don't like these green beans, we're done with it. But I don't think my wife ever had a lamb chop in her life. And she tells me she doesn't like them. Well, I have a six-year-old who does the same thing. So don't tell your wife. Well, my wife's not six. That's the difference. Are you sure, Tim? Uh, (laughs) Exactly. So listen, Ashley, real quick, tell everybody about you, where we can find your stuff, your work, how we uh, link up with you, where do we buy them, where do we order them, all that stuff. Go. So I have a dual personality. So if you want to know about Dr. Ashley Wellman, you can visit me at www.ashleywellman.com and you'll see my research and things like that. Uh, So, you know, the real serious side of me. And then if you want to see the magical world that Reagan and I are building, um, you can visit us at www.myfriendfresno.com. Our very first children's book is available now for pre-order and you will save big by ordering early. It's going to be released in October. I'll actually ship them out in October, but you can save big now by ordering early or bundling with other products and getting your family a huge Fresno fun pack or a bone bundle in the bone boutique. So join us at www.myfriendfresno.com or follow us at myfriendfresno. Fantastic. Ashley, you are so inspiring. I can't thank you enough. I wasn't quite sure how or where this podcast was going to go, but I think I could literally talk to you for hours. It's hard to believe we're almost at an hour and And you are just mesmerizing the things that you've been able to overcome and provide for your daughter and not only your daughter, other people in life. So I am honestly, thank you so much for being on 10 items or less. I uh, definitely want to do the dinner murder mystery. Uh, Let's do it. Let's set it up. I'm not, I'm not far from you. We can have 10 people over the house and do it. It's perfectly fine. I would love it. So I do need you to do me one favor. I want you to send me some pictures of the book and maybe the little stuffed animal thing you were talking about. And that way I can use that as social media to uh, help promote the episode as well. Is that cool? Thank you so much, Tim. Yes. What a blessing and what a relief during quarantine to laugh and to share our thoughts together. I am glad I'm now your new friend. You're the greatest, Ashley. Thank you so much. And I think I sent you via email my phone number. You can text me the pictures, whatever you want, email me, whatever's easier. And we'll go from there. And I will let you know when this is coming out. Okay. Thank you, Tim. You're awesome. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye. Well, there you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed that episode. That was with Dr. Ashley Wellman. What an inspiring human. I mean, you want to talk about something that is so tragic that it could happen to any one of us, okay, who has overcome that and is now working so diligently to get her message out there. I love her story. I love her book. I love what she's doing with her daughter. Check her out, my friend Fresno. I will share everything on my social media. Thanks for listening, guys. As usual, please send me your feedback at 10 items or less podcast at gmail.com as well as the 10 items or less hotline 512-537-8355 leave me a message let me know what you thought of the episode and thanks for listening talk to you guys next week you're not allowed in this lane it's 10 items or less